to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with the young and the restless Meg. <laughs> I've been thinking about uh, soap operas. Um, tonight, she is going to tell us all about Joanne Dennehy. This case is kind of like a soap opera, so. Oh, Whenever sometimes when you do my nicknames, you uh you nail it without even knowing that you're gonna nail it. Um, uh, when we were doing, uh, we were talking about doing the tour of Europe that we're on right now. I got a random message from my cousin in England, and he's an actor, and he was on the show in England called yeah uh, <laughs> called Britain's Most Evil Killers. And he he played Colin Ireland in one episode, and he played Gary Stretch in another episode. Uh, and when I was there visiting, he showed me the Colin Ireland one, but I hadn't heard of the other one, so I Googled it, and I was like, oh, this is my next episode. And it worked out pretty nicely. Well, before you start, I think we should add, as usual, that Gruesome is a Zencaster-sponsored podcast. If you're listening to us thinking that you should start a podcast, you should um, Zencaster makes it really easy. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing, use promo code gruesome with a capital G and get 30% off your first three months. Yeah, and do it. I got excited. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. We've been getting a lot of messages of people who are using Zencaster and the, you know, the user friendliness really speaks for itself. So do it. Do it. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's all. I mean, I just jump right back in. I just, it was very interesting that it was kind of a random, hey, I was in this show and I was like, oh, that's convenient because I need an episode from Europe and that is going to check all my boxes right there. Worked out pretty lovely. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. So trigger warnings for this episode Domestic violence, murder, alcoholism, drug addiction, self-harm, sexual violence, and sadomasochism. Oof. Yeah. It's a, it's quite a ride we're going to go for tonight. And there was, I do want to tell you the book that I read about it because it was very detailed. It was Love of Blood. Love, love of, of... Love of <laughs> Blood by Christopher Barry D. And he's Oof. interviewed like a ton of serial killers. But we he, should interview him. <laughs> he made this note in the foreword and it said, he said, serial killers are control freaks who try to manipulate everyone they come into contact with. And I pretty much agree with that. I think we've talked about it before. Uh, but I think it's a good reminder, especially for this case, because the serial killer is a psychopath. Not that they aren't all psychopaths, but she is one of four modern women to receive a natural whole life sentence in England. Oh, wow. That's pretty rare. And the other ones were Rose West, Mira Hendley, and Beverly Allen. So mm. just really the worst of the worst, yeah. guys. When you and add them to that group, it's it honestly tells you everything you need to know. We don't need to listen to the rest of the <laughs> We know that this we know. lady is a big, big a-hole. And that being said, Joanne Dennehy was born August 29th, 1982, 
Virgo, because I know you were wondering. She was born to her mother, <laughs> Kathleen, and her father, Kevin. They lived in Harpenden, and their life was absolutely normal. Nothing weird. Her mom was a manager at the grocery store. Her dad was a security guard. She had a younger sister named Maria, and they spent a lot of time playing, just doing regular sibling stuff. And as far as they know, Joanne was never out there mutilating animals. There was no fire setting or bedwetting. Nothing really strange. Oh, wow. Yeah. Her teachers recall that she's a pretty good student. She played netball and hockey, and her parents paid for her to attend private music lessons. And because we've been teenage girls once in our Mm. lives, we know that being a teenage girl, there might be a little bit of drama at times. Just a little bit. Some rebellion. And like, I, we could probably cut to like a musical montage of everything we did <laughs> from like 14 to 16. <laughs> <laughs> and Joanne was no different at 14 years old on the money, pretty much. She went to a fair where she met an 18 year old carnival worker and promptly ran away with him. Oh my gosh. Her parents found her at a hostel with this guy, made her come home. But once she continued, it kind of, when she got home, it kind of continued that she was just hanging out with like much older guys. She was drinking with them. She started smoking weed, doing coke, classic teenage rebellion. That's a little bit more than classic. I don't know. I feel like drinking and smoking, maybe not like Coke for us, but this is a new day and age. I don't know what the kids are doing anymore. I know what they're doing. I watch Euphoria. (laughs) Yikes. So maybe it's a little bit more than Coke. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But her parents, they were like, hey, you can't, you can't, you can't Can't do it like this. So she rebelled even harder. (laughs) To the point where she was like, I'm going to steal money from you. I'm going to buy booze Uh, with the money I steal. She stopped going to school. When her parents and teachers did call her out, she would get physically violent and verbally abusive. Joanne once showed up to school drunk, threw an empty whiskey bottle through a closed window, shattered it, and then hopped out of it. I, in my day... (laughs) hopped out of a (laughs) no but I have shown up I've never shown up to school drunk but I did senior year come extremely hungover and I slept through the passing period and English teacher oh sweet Mrs. Williams just let me sleep she thought I was physically ill which I was you were physically I was physically ill did she do you have pictures of her when she was younger did she look much older um Joanne Dennehy yeah, yeah. Like, did she no, look? She no, did she not just look like average. Okay, just normal teenage girl. Yep, did not look much older than what she was. In fact, I would argue that as she got older, she still maintained a very like youthful appearance. Okay. So at fifteen, she met a guy while he was walking his dog. She walked up and she was like, "I love your dog," and they walked and talked, and they were like, "Let's meet up again tomorrow." And they did. And they did that pretty much until they were together. John Trainer was 21. He lived with his mom, who was not happy that his adult son was hanging out with a 15-year-old 
girl, which same mom. Naturally. Yep. He said that he said nothing sexual happened until she was 16, which honestly like 16 and 22 isn't any better than 15 and 21. Mm -mm. Either way, his mom was like, no way are you and your child bride moving in with me. So, (laughs) So the two of them ran away at almost 16 and 22 to Ludden. They rented a room in a drug dealer's house and they would shoplift food in order to eat until they found out Joanne was pregnant. Oh. So after they find that out, they're able to get a low income based apartment and their daughter Cheyenne was born in 1999. Joanne was able to get state benefits. John got a job as a security guard, which seems like, oh, they're figuring it out. You know, they just needed the stepping stone. But Joe was not figuring it out. John recalled that she became very cold. She began drinking more. She started to have sex with a man that had just gotten out of prison. So John actually took Cheyenne and moved back in with his mother. But after a few months, Joanne went to him and wanted him to take her back. And he did. And after this moment, it was okay. They found some sense of normalcy for a little while. Joanne actually got a job. She, like, picked vegetables for a farmer's market. The family moved in together. But little by little, she began drinking again. And eventually she became physically violent towards John. She would hit him. She would also be verbally abusive. She would smash up their stuff in just a drunken rage. And this continued until 2003 when Joanne actually shoved their toddler and she almost fell down a flight of stairs. Oh, no. It's just as shitty and disgusting and awful no matter if the aggressor is male or female. Yep. So you're still just as much of a piece of shit if that's what you're doing, especially around your kids. Like, yeah, and John, he did. He agreed. He took Cheyenne and moved back to his mom's again. He was like, nope, I'm gone. Yeah. And Joanne disappeared for more than a year after that. Bye. And she disappeared because she was in jail for the very first time. She had violently assaulted a man. Surprise. And underwent a psychiatric evaluation during which she was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. The psyche eval said that she was emotionally unstable and prone to unpredictable behavioral explosions. John found this out because she sent him a letter in a visiting order that allowed him to visit her in prison. Uh, She was released in 2004 and moved back to her parents, but her mom caught her having sex with strangers in their backyard, and her mom was like, what are you doing? Joanne got mad that she was called out and destroyed their sunroom, just annihilated it Mm -mm. and left. Again, she had nowhere to go, though, so back to John, convincing him to take her back again. And I think we can talk about that quote a little bit more. Highly manipulative mm-hmm. really plays a lot into that whole relationship with her and John, just like, and, and her relationship with everyone. Like, this is a manipulative human being who does not care about other people. She just wants them to do what she mm-hmm. wants them to do. Exactly. Yeah. And at this point, it's like 2006. So she's like 24 now. 
She's still abusing alcohol. She's doing drugs. And she and John get pregnant again. But during her pregnancy, she does not change her lifestyle. So in addition to abusing John again, she's also abusing this baby she's now pregnant with. She doesn't want to be a mom to her older daughter. Joanne would regularly bring men and women to her house to have sex while she was drunk and high, and she would do it in front of John and her children. Oh, my God. I know. It's awful. She she was self-harming a lot at this point as well. Her sister said she last saw her in 2005 and found that she had been cutting herself and having very casual, random sex, drinking, doing drugs, hanging out with ne'er-do-wells in general. But she seemed very angry, and she was hurting herself because of that. And there's a quote from her later, and it says, I like to be beaten, stabbed, sliced. I consider myself pretty dangerous, but that keeps me happy. Oh. Yeah. Um, I know not everyone... You know, self-harms for the same reason, but she was obviously lashing out at herself, I think. John Trainer, though, stayed with her until 2009. Bless until him. Until one day, she pulled a dagger out of her boot and stabbed it into the carpet and yelled that she wanted to, quote, fucking kill someone, unquote. And yeah, that... I- Yep, for the final time, he took both of his daughters and got out of there. And that was the last time those girls saw Joanne as children. Ugh. So shortly after that, Joanne went back to jail for carrying a blade, shoplifting, and assault. When she was released, she went to this, it's like a business, and they let apartments or rooms in apartment buildings to convicts after they leave jail for Mm -hmm. like lower prices people who are getting back up on their feet essentially is it like a halfway house kind of yeah except that i think they get money from the government and then the government they have to pay that money to the landlord because it used to be i read that it used to be that the government would just pay it to the people who ran the houses but something changed to where they gave it to the people and the people had to give it to the landlord. And that caused like a whole bunch of problems because maybe these people weren't always as responsible as they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So she went to this business and she told them that she had just done 13 years in prison because she murdered her father for sexually abusing her since she was five. Lies. Obviously. Which was a lie. Yeah. True manipulator. She just wanted sympathy from the couple who ran this business, Kevin and Christina Lee. But Kevin wanted to give her a fresh start. He believed her. And so she got one. She got this fresh start. Kevin and Christina Lee were a couple. They had two children. They ran this business together. Um, But the business of letting apartments to convicts frequently left them unpaid, which... Mm -hmm. I'm not saying yeah. that's true of everybody in this situation, but it is true yeah. of some of them. Yeah. So Kevin came up with this arrangement with Joanne and her new sidekick, Gary Richards, who I'll tell you a little bit more about in a minute. But you should know that Gary was seven foot three. 
Like actually seven like foot actually three. Actually seven foot three. Wow. One, That's yes. scary. He's and a impressive. scary looking dude. Um but Joanne was just batshit crazy enough to hang out with Gary and to help Kevin out with what he needed. Kevin essentially let them live in these places for free. Well, he let Joanne live in these places for free in exchange for her and her friend Gary to evict tenants that weren't paid. Okay. So if they weren't paid or he wanted someone else out of a house, maybe they were dirty, maybe they weren't doing something he wanted, Joanne would go in and threaten this person with Gary as backup and make them leave. Like an enforcer. Exactly. She was an enforcer. Joanne also started having sex with Kevin in exchange for alcohol. Kevin, who is married with two children and a business with his wife. Yep, the same one. Kevin. Come on, man. If uh, essentially what we said, if they didn't go in, they'd say, get out or else. One guy recalled that he hadn't been able to pay his rent, so he tried to get a crisis payment from the government in order to pay it, but he wasn't awarded anything. Dennehy, and they called him Gary Stretch because he was so tall, so I call him Gary Stretch a lot in this. Um, he went, they went in the first time and they were like, you got to get out. And when he didn't, they came back and Joanne held a knife to his throat and told him to leave. And he just packed one bag and bailed. He was like, I'm out. Nope, this is not cool. You can't do that to people. Nope. No, you can't do that. Even if they're not paying their rent, it freaking sucks. And I can't imagine being in that position because it is your livelihood as a landlord. But you can't, that's that's not how you, you get You can't like put knives to people's throat and tell no. them to leave. No. No bueno. So Gary, we call him Gary Stretch. His birth name is Gary Richards. Seven foot three, born January 27th, 1966. And by age 15, his dad had kicked him out. His whole history is pretty much him coasting through different prisons for various like small time crimes. Okay. He was with the same woman for like 13 years and they had three children together. His ex-partner, Julie, said that he was a great dad. He was very hands-on and loving and caring, but he was not a responsible dad. And the police in the areas that Gary lived in, on and off, they all kind of teased about how he was a terrible criminal because of his size. He is seven foot three. He's easily identified. He's not sneaky at all. He would try to like burgle houses, but he couldn't even get in a window, you know? Because so, he's seven foot three. And he's, people would be like, hey, you know, it's that one guy who's like really freaking tall. An actual giant. That's yeah. the one. Yep. I saw him running away past cars. and Literally street. one time he actually got away with something because they couldn't get enough people for a lineup. That looked the same as him. So like he was the only one. <laughs> like he looks like an adult, like and normal sized human beings look like tiny children. Yeah, exactly. He he's like long and lanky. He's just like a large dude. So <laughs> anyways, he ended up going back to jail because Julie left him. And he harassed her, earning himself a solid 15 months. But Joanne Dennehy and Gary Stretch were released around the same time and met while they were out on parole. And he would sleep on the couch in her apartment 
that she got on that neat little deal from Kevin. Mm. I reached the foot of my couch. Yeah. So he actually, in all the prisons he went to, he had his own custom-made bed because they're only six feet long. So they had to make him a bed that they would send to the different prisons that he was in. They're like, oh, wait, this is his. Oh, wait. <laughs> you got your own bed, baby. You know, you've made it, I guess. <laughs> um, and this went on for years until 2013. When Joanne committed her first murder. So Monday, March 18th, 2013. Dennehy met 31-year-old Lucas Slavozuski at a mall. And Joanne hit on him. She got his cell phone number and she sexted him later that night immediately. To which he responded. He was into it. And he ended up coming over to her apartment And shortly after arriving, Joanne, in a surprise attack, stabbed Lucas in the heart with a three-inch locking pocket knife as soon as he walked in the door, pretty much. So for no reason? Nope. No reason at all. She lured him there intentionally to kill him. What a disgusting piece of garbage. And Gary was in the apartment when this happened. In his words, he said... That he was asleep when it happened. He said he was upstairs and he said he was downstairs. No one knows the exact truth of where he was, but he was there. And Joanne went to him and she was like, you need to help me get rid of him. Bin him. Like, put him in the trash. And he did it. I didn't even know that was a term. Bin. Yeah, they call in, in England, they call it the bin is the trash. I was at a wedding and I asked someone where the trash can was and they asked me if I was from Scotland. <laughs> and I like I was like I get I don't understand that joke but it does sound funny so I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> um so they put Lucas's body into a trash can. Afterwards, Joanne called Kevin and told him that she needed money to get a car that could move the corpse of the man that she had just murdered. And he gave it to her. He gave her the money. Oh my God. So. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, I can't imagine, like, getting that having, phone call. One, I can't imagine having a side piece with two children already because that's freaking exhaust. Like, being an adult with kids is exhausting. Well, anyway, so she was, you know, helping take care of them. And yeah, way. exactly. But, like, if they were to call me and they were like, hey, Connie, I need some money. Or a car first i'd be like no hard pass <laughs> but they're like to dispose of the body of the woman i just murdered i'd be like i'm sorry i don't know who you're trying to reach but i have never spoken to you before click click and then i would go 911 nope he gave her the money mm. so gary and joanne they went and bought this hatchback she did not have a driver's license but gary did and he registered he registered it under the name Undertaker and Company. Like the business name That's under gross. Yeah. yeah, so gross. I am laughing as I say it, but only because it's just who does that? 
It's like, like the audacity. And also, the, I know you are not fitting very well in that car stretch. <laughs> Your this is gross. Yeah. She this is the thing like people need to remember too about like like you know, like everyone thinks serial killers and 95% of the time they're like men. Men are manipulated, you know, like they'll manipulate you, they will lure you in. But this is what she's doing. And not only that, she's manipulating people to help her exactly and i've read that before i've read that women tend to like manipulate other people into doing her dirty their dirty work Mm -hmm. when they are murderers like this but she not only does the dirty work but then manipulates people to like help her do that Mm -hmm. and this is not even her only lackey because she gets more so they load Lucas's body into the back of this vehicle and they drive it to the outskirts of Peterborough looking for a place to dump the body and they settled on this ditch near Thorny Pike where Gary said no one is ever going to find a body that has been dumped here there's a drainage ditch they put her there before they moved that body Joanne Dennehy showed it to a 14 year old girl the girl said that the body had a black trash bag over it in the bin and Joe just stood there looking at her and smiling when she opened the lid and pulled back the plastic to show her. Like she was proud of it. That's yeah. gross. Very gross. Roughly 10 days later, on March 27th, Gary and Joanne, they'd been sent to another location to enforce, remove some tenants. And in this, this one was more of a house where people were living, like they rented a room, but Kevin actually wanted two of them out of there. So dutifully, they moved in and instead of the normal force that they did, they actually partied with the tenants for a couple of days. They were all drinking, they were hanging out until everybody went to bed one night on Friday, March 29th. Dennehy snuck into the room of John Chapman, a 56-year-old widower, alcoholic, and Royal Navy vet who had found himself going through a rough time. Oh, I hate that. She went into his room while he was sleeping and stabbed him in the chest five separate times, twice in the heart, once in the neck, severing his carotid artery. She used John's phone to call Gary after she murdered John and saying, oops, I did it again to Gary at 6.30 in the morning. I want to beat this bitch's ass. Yeah, she is disgusting. That's disgusting. Yes. So she goes into the bathroom to clean herself up. And as she's leaving, she runs into another one of the tenants in the house. His name's Leslie Layton. He is a man. She showed him John's body and he took a selfie with the body. No, he didn't. Yes. He first thing he did, picked his phone up, took a selfie with it, and then he deleted the photo, but he still did it. And that is one of the most infuriating parts of this case. I bring it up several times because I'm so mad about it. And then they just left John's body. And afterwards, after she was done with John's body, left him in the room, she called Kevin and arranged to meet up with him at 
the main residence that she normally stayed at. A friend of Kevin's testified that an hour before he went to meet Joanne, Kevin had told him that Joanne wanted to rape him while he was wearing a dress. So the plan was he was going to go over there, and when he got there, he was going to put on a dress and have sex with Joanne. And when he arrived, he did that. He put on this black sequin dress that was Dennehy's, but instead of sex, Joanne stabbed Kevin Lee five times in the chest also. He was the only victim with defensive wounds on his hands. And this time, Gary was not the only one that helped her dispose of the body. Leslie, from the other house, drove Kevin's car that he had driven over there while Gary and Joanne rode in the hatchback. At 9.15, a farmer found Kevin's car on fire in a field. So they lit his car on fire and they disposed of his body. Then they took John Chapman's body to the same location that Lucas had been dumped. So now she has two guys doing her bidding. Kevin was helping her too, and that's why I don't understand. It wasn't... She she says later that there were a couple of different reasons why she may have killed Kevin. One that one of the things she was also doing was like redecorating apartments and she felt like she wasn't getting paid for those. But I think she's just a psychopath. Yeah, she's a psychopath. She was getting paid. She was living somewhere absolutely for free. Yeah. And he was giving her money for cars to dispose of bodies. And yeah, she says later mm-hmm. too that she got a taste for it like she the word that they used was moorish it got moorish which means she just wanted to do it more which is the same thing we hear with serial killers that that's like a bloodlust yeah yeah, that time between killings just gets shorter and shorter because they can't control themselves and that's exactly what has begun to happen because for them it's all about power right like no matter what they do it's about power and then They may, you know, it starts like they're manipulating people or they're stealing or they're hurting animals, you know, and it becomes like the ultimate power I can have over someone is whether I taking their life. Yeah. If I choose whether they live or die. So it that's gross. I know I keep saying that, but that's gross. It is gross. The friend that had testified essentially that he that Kevin had told him about their rendezvous they actually ended up telling his wife that that was why they were worried because Kevin hadn't returned home so they were able to open that missing persons case and then they closed it the next day because a 68 year old dog walker found Kevin's body still in the dress of oh. his bottom exposed and something pushed into the anus. So not only did she murder him, but she humiliated him after death. And he and was. He has a wife and kids. You mm-hmm. have been sleeping with this man for however long prior to this. He's been bankrolling you. And uh, like, not only does his wife have to one, her husband has been murdered. Two, her, you know, children's father has been murdered. 
she has to accept that he was having an affair. And then, you know, that's a detail they're going to, you know, like that's a detail that's going to be out. So then you have to deal with the humiliation of it. Yeah. And that's just another form of power for her. I guess he had actually told his wife that he was having an affair, but he had not told Uh her like who with or what. So she, and we'll talk about this a little bit in a minute. um, She was able to find out who it was based on their phone bill. And Mm. so I told them, yeah, they launched operation Darcy to find out what had happened to Kevin and legitimately, all they had to do was pull these cell phone records because Kevin had told his wife he was having an affair. They reviewed the phone bill, found that Joanne's number was the one most commonly listed, paired that with the information from his friends that they knew about Joanne specifically. And Christina actually called that number and it put her in the area of Kevin's car the same time it was set on fire. So it's just like unraveling one thing after another. Mm-hmm. When John and Lucas were inevitably found, they found that the last phone call made on John's phone was to Gary Stretch from Joanne Dennehy while she sang Britney Spears to him. And really all of the mobile information they found was Gary, Joanne, Leslie, and his disgusting selfie and Leslie's friend, Robert Moore. They were all communicating and plotting these murders on their cell phones that they use every day. We love a stupid criminal. We love a dumb criminal. And Robert Moore, this new guy that I've mentioned, was Leslie's friend. But the 14-year-old girl I mentioned earlier was his daughter. Ah. And he didn't even have a record, but he knew about these murders, did not report anything, and he allowed Joanne to stay at his house after they were done covering everything up. He after like gave, she had traumatized his daughter. Yep. After And gave them a place to stay. Mm-mm. Not only that, but they were all seen on CCTV driving these vehicles involved with disposing bodies and the one that was lit on fire. Cause this is 2013 when this yeah, is this happening. Is it's not 1992. Yeah. 1960s. Yeah. Whenever miraculously they were able to find Leslie Layton, but not Dennehy. So police showed up to question him and Leslie pulled the old, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. I don't know anything. Classic. And they leave without him because they hadn't seen his selfie yet or they didn't know he was even involved. They just knew that he had been in contact with Joanne Dennehy. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as the police leave, he makes phone calls to Joanne and Robert to be like, hey, the police are looking for you. And this is April 1st. So it's been like less than a couple of days and police are pretty much on it. They know what's going on. They know who they're looking for. At this time, Gary and Joanne are actually at a friend of Joanne's. They're at her house explaining, well, her name's Georgina. So they're at Georgina's house and they're explaining to her what happened. They showed her, they're like, see, I'm wanted because now there's like media going out that Joanne Dennehy is wanted in connection with the death of Kevin Lee. And this disgusting monster of a woman got excited because of the way 
that she had left his body and the idea that it had been found like that. So mm-hmm. before they leave Georgina's apartment, Gary pretty much threatens her like, hey, if you tell anyone, you're you're going to be murdered, too. But Joanne was just really matter of fact. She said, actually, we're going to get caught and we're going to go to jail for a very long time. So she already knew. But they just chose to keep running. Mm. So they're just avoiding police for as long as they can. Robert Moore texts them again and says, hey, you guys can stay with me again. And so we move into April 2nd. They're driving the same hatchback. Seen all over. Seen everywhere. That has disposed of bodies. That has been on CCTV. And the car has been through the system. It's listed as a vehicle of interest. And guess what? It's registered to Gary Stretch Undertaker and Co. (laughs) So now they extend that warrant to Gary as well. Because at first it was just Joanne, but now they see that this car is registered to Gary, so they're trying to get them both. They head to a different guy's apartment, and here they take photos, and these photos were notoriously used in the press throughout the search for Joanne and Gary. And they were also used a lot during like the press for the trial that comes. And in these pictures, Joanne is like licking a giant dagger But she's also standing on a balcony with, like, her shirt lifted up. You can see her red bra. It's very weird. Uh, I guess not as weird as having just, like, murdered three people in ten days. But yeah, strange that they were like, let's do a photo shoot after we just killed a bunch of people. So I jumped the gun a little bit earlier when I explained that their phones were the reason that they were able to be fully linked. Because Mm -hmm. as of April 2nd, John and Lucas's bodies had not been discovered. Joanne and Gary are still making their way around the country, I guess. And they drive into Hereford and police tell police there, tell the other police, because <laughs> these are all different cities yeah. that they're going to. Yeah. So they're all communicating and they're like, hey, we saw this car heading into your area. You need to be aware that these people are dangerous. And the next place they're seen is at a convenience store getting tobacco and whiskey. Just normal stuff. After they buy this, April 2nd at 3.35, Robin Bereza was walking his dog when he felt a blow to his right shoulder. He was a 63-year-old man, just celebrated his 36th wedding anniversary with his wife, and he flung himself around and saw this woman coming at him. And he thought he was being mugged, so he kicked her, but it was like she didn't even flinch. So he asked, what are you doing? And she just replied, I'm going to fucking kill you. And she chased him down the road. He was able to keep running from her after she stabbed him in the shoulder and the chest. And Gary was just like slowly driving behind them until Dennehy turned around, got back in the car, kissed Gary on the cheek and said, thank you, and then drove away. They left him with a shattered shoulder blade, a bruised lung, a fractured lung, no, a fractured rib, sorry, and he did not die. Good for him. He barely got home, but when he did, he called emergency services and got medical treatment super quickly at 3.42, like 10 minutes later. 
Police got info that a woman with a star tattoo on her face, because she had a green star tattooed on her right cheek? Maybe it's her left cheek. I'll have to double check. She has a green star tattoo on her face. (laughs) And she Mm -hmm. stabbed a man in the street. Ten minutes. And guess what? Ten minutes after she and Gary left the scene of that crime, she did it again. John Rogers was also out walking his dog around four o'clock and recalled a horrifyingly similar incident. He felt a punch to his back, and when he turned around, he said, what's this all about? And she started stabbing him, replying, you're bleeding, I better do some more, while he begged her to leave him alone. He just fell to the ground and waited to lo- to die because he had been stabbed more than 30 times. In oh, the my chest, God. Stomach, back. Both Did of he his, live? Both of his lungs collapsed and his bowels were perforated and exposed. Fortunately, people saw what had happened. They surrounded him. They got him care. So he also did not die. Oh, my God. I know. You're taking me on a roller coaster here. Man. It's, I, when I said it was like a soap opera, I wasn't lying. What the hell is wrong with her? She's nuts. She's crazy. Bat shit. A plus minus. I don't know. She's crazy. Why am I getting Harley Quinn vibes? Yeah. Very. She legitimately said. She said of these two guys that she tried to murder. I tried to kill more people than Bonnie and Clyde. And my only regret is that those two guys lived. That's not my fault. Uh, like what? Mm-mm. So finally, 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 we're about to catch these dingbats. Thank they, God. they stayed in Hereford after that happened. They stayed in the same town. So police caught them while they were meeting with another criminal to do more crime that I'm not even sure what they were doing. <laughs> but I'm not surprised. <laughs> Crimes against humanity. But they saw the flashing lights and they tried to run. And they got about 16 miles before they were finally stopped. They're all arrested within 20 minutes of stabbing the second guy, John Rogers. And when they get to the station, Joanne Dennehy just continues to be like the most disgusting human being on the planet. She flirts with all of the officers, men and women. She like begs them not to put her in baggy clothes. She's like, what am I in for? Attempted murder and murder is nothing. It's like going down for a Sunday roast. Easy. It could be worse. She said that to the police. How could it be worse? You're literally a serial murderer. What is a worse thing to be caught for? Uh. And she continued. She said, she told them that she's been on the run. I've had half a bottle of whiskey this morning. The expensive stuff, $80 a bottle. She was put in a solitary unit because they were like, you are a danger to yourself and others. (laughs) And that would be the extent of her talking. Because once she starts being interviewed by police, she answered no comment to everything. Mm. And Gary did the same. But he did acknowledge that he had been a getaway driver. That's it, though. She was charged with the murder of Kevin Lee and the attempted murders of Robin Bereza and John Rogers on Saturday, April 13th. They, they had been arrested on the 3rd. And that happened to be the same day that a farmer finally found the bodies of Lucas and John in that drainage ditch. But fortunately, they had the people responsible, 
Um, Leslie was finally also arrested because they found that disgusting selfie with the corpse of John Chapman and his phone. Uh, Robert Moore was also arrested and charged with assisting. On Wednesday, May 8th, 2013, Joanne Dennehy was charged with three counts of murder, two counts of attempted murder, three counts of prevention of the lawful and decent burial of a dead body, and she entered no plea. Nothing. Gary Stretch, Leslie Layton, and Robert Moore all pled not guilty. So while they're awaiting trial, they're in separate prisons. Gary and Joanne wrote to each other. And their relationship was not sexual, but Gary definitely thought that it could become that because in one of his letters he wrote, and I'm going to read it word for word, it says, yo wifey, thanks for your letter, babe. I'm writing this letter sat in the court cells today waiting for the verdict. This case has been about the serial killer called J.D., We are the new Bonnie and Clyde, so they say. You're not a killer. You're a woman with major issues, issues being bloodthirsty. Hey, hold on. You're not a vampire, are you? How's the book coming on? I want the copyrights, okay? And, like, he keeps going. He says, they'll be here just to see you, so stand strong. It'll soon be here, babe. And then you get to say your thing the speech of a lifetime to be heard all over the country so make it a bloody good one so looking forward to seeing you babe well your sexy smile and thoughts of evil eyes oops meant to say angel eyes you have a dirty and dark mind see you soon your biggest supporter love you always love undertaker hubby for lifey and there are a ton of i know it's so cringy like it's gross Um, Ugh. and they're all like this. All these letters he wrote to her are Wifey essentially for lifey. What? Uh, <laughs> they're all essentially telling him, telling her that it wasn't her fault, that he she has nothing to worry about him being her accomplice. He's loyal, he would do anything for her. He was sad that they never got to consummate their love. You get the idea. Mm. But Joanne, in another, more evidence that she's fucking crazy, she forwarded all of those letters to Julie, his long-term partner, who he had also been writing to. What a bitch. <laughs> and Julie replied to jo- to Joanne, and Joanne wrote this back. said, Dear Julie, I have received your letter, and I would like to rest. Gary did not go along with me out of fear for you. Mine and Gary's relationship was based on past background. I had no idea you even existed until in court. My legal team informed me of a recorded phone call to you. And she just goes through and tells him that she loves and respects Gary. She would never ask him to do what he did for her. She loves him and contrary to what He's telling her he has very strong feelings. There were no sexual relations. Her love is platonic. She would never force him to do anything. But Julie had been getting notes from Gary that was saying Joanne is evil. He helped because he was scared of her. He was scared for his children and for 
her. So Julie was just like, nope, cut him right the fuck off. Bye. Which good for you, Julie. You deserve better. I think the reason she forwarded those letters to Julie was because she was pissed off that he had someone else too. Maybe. Like I also it was think more of a like spite mad thing. Yeah. Because he pled not guilty. Because she tells them in trial, I'll tell you this in just a second, okay. we're almost there. Um, those letters, they fully fudged him because his lawyers were trying to paint the picture that he was scared for his life. Mm-hmm. And he felt like he had to help Denny. But now uh, Julie made those letters public. She gave them to the media. Adam yeah. <laughs> so they went to trial and they were like, yeah, you obviously did this because you're weird. You're weird. Yeah. They went to trial in September of 2013. It lasted until February of 2014. On February 10th, 2014, Gary was found guilty of one count conspiracy to commit attempted murder and three counts of preventing the lawful and decent burials of three human bodies, which meant that he has to serve at least 19 years before he's eligible for parole. And if he is released in 19 years, he'll essentially be on house arrest until he's dead. Oh, good. Leslie Layton was found guilty of two counts of preventing the lawful and decent burial. He was given 14 years, but seven of those are in prison and seven of those are on house arrest. And then Robert Moore received three years, one and a half in prison and one and a half on house arrest. Mm. Literally in trial. She turned to Gary and Leslie and told them that she took their murder charge for them and she called them a bunch of fucking idiots in front of everyone. Then when she got her sentencing, she yelled bollocks at the judge after she was sentenced to that natural life term and the judge called her a sadistic serial killer. So while she was in prison... In 2013, after, or in 2014, she plotted an escape attempt. (laughs) And she got busted. So she's been in a high security unit for quite some time. Never really explained her motive. She only said that the men she murdered, murdered shouldn't have flirted with her. They shouldn't have pissed her off. But she did tell a psychiatrist, I killed to see how it would feel. To see if I was as cold as I thought. Then it got Moorish and I got a taste for it. Hmm. Yep. She's also the first woman serial killer to use a knife as a weapon. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's Joanne Dennehy. A real piece of work. Real piece of shit. Yeah, dude, I know. Jesus. Hold on. We'll do a Zencaster ad. (laughs) Cleanse the palate. Let's cleanse the palate by telling you about the best, easiest way to make a podcast. You can go to Zencaster.com, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R slash pricing and enter the code gruesome with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. It is very easy. You do it all in browser. You get 1080 video content that you can upload to youtube you can use it for whatever you need your patreon it makes making a podcast insanely easy and we think you should do it so we've we've done it before just hanging out 
Like, yes. Sometimes we just Zencaster instead of Zoom because yeah. it's easier than Zoom. It is yeah. easier than Zoom. There's, and you're, whoever you're, if you have a co-host, if you have um, someone you're interviewing, they don't even have to have an account. You just literally send them a link. They can click on it and hop in. More than one person can be on the call. It's really awesome. We're going to integrate St. Karen as soon as her Louisiana butt gets internet. We can. Once no, That is a thing, though. We've heard from people that they're trying to use Zoom to record podcast content Zoom. and you can't. The sound is not there. It's no. not good. And it's the use automatic. Zencaster. Yeah, it's the automatic post-production for me. So use there their code. And man, that was wild. <sighs> I know. I was like, I felt crazy writing it. I was like. It was like she liked it. So she was getting frenzied. Yes. Like she was getting very frenzied, very sloppy, very like, I just have to do this. I don't care. Like, and they just let her, you know, and they yeah. like Gary encouraged it even like her getting back in the car after she stabs a guy and saying, thank you. That's terrible that's the worst it is not like she was seven foot three he could have easily stopped her whenever he wanted to whenever he wanted to about him and i don't know that it's a rumor but julie his ex-partner said like that he was a big weenie oh like a gentle giant yep yeah like he stole stuff and he would like so he's steal not a, money, but he was not a brute. Like he, yeah, he's almost, not a violent criminal. Other no. than this, Ugh, yes, that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's just I don't understand the murder of Kevin. Like I, I un- not that I understand the random murders, but like I can be like, okay, I get like she. I think it was just to- power, like the humiliation yeah. afterwards. The I've done this and now I want to do it again. She had told Kevin about the murders. You know, Kevin had given her money. That was just another way to cut someone out that she felt like she could cut out, I think. Ah, that's awful. And her children. Yeah, so her daughter is an adult now, Cheyenne. And um, she recently reached out to her mom as like when she was 19 and sent her a letter and talk to her for the first time since like not seeing her when she was like five or six or however old she was when they left. And she said that her mother shows no remorse and she does not care for the mother for the person she became. She misses the mom that she had because she felt like she did have some good memories of her, Mm -hmm. like that she was just a big kid, but that person is not she does not want to see that man they lucked out getting the hell out of there because she would have killed them all three of them yeah absolutely and like i know that that relationship started yucky but good for john because he didn't deserve that and neither did those girls none of them did that's what's all oh And if you are, I'm with you, taking a selfie, like, immediately being like, oh, my God, look what you did. Quick, let me snap a selfie. Well, like, Uh, when the only other person is singing Oops, I Did It Again over a phone call to be like, hey, come help me because Oops, I Did It Again. And then he's going to take his phone and do a selfie with him. That's mm -hmm. disgusting. Yeah. And then he deleted it thinking that, like, forensics 
would never see that again. But guess what? It just goes to a different little secret or cycle bit on your phone. It's still there. I know something you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I know something you will never know. Oh, yes. It was infuriating. That, um, that book that I read, it was, um, it was an interesting book. It had a lot of really good facts. The author talks a lot of shit, like, like which well-deserved, but I don't know. I think if you are into reading books and you want even more details from this case and more like stuff that he's read, you should read one from him. It's like Christopher, what did I say? Christopher Barry D. And you'll be like, wow, this guy is uh, interesting. Hmm. He doesn't pull any... He doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. He's just straight to the point. I like that. Very I like, like that I like. Yeah, it was it was a f- not a fun read, but it was a entertaining read. I will say. I think you can read books about like serial killers, and not that you are entertained by the crime because that is a little strange. No, but... just the way he wrote. It was very. Yeah. It was almost like it's, you can have. I mean, there. You know, I don't know how to say. It. Like you can. Not be like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I want to read about all of this. But you can love the way someone writes and be like, this is a dope way to put this. Yeah. It kind of sounded like if you were, like if a podcast was a book, like I could I could see Oh, him, I love that. Yeah, I could see him reading that. that in like maybe a long form podcast of seasons. Just an idea that. for you, Christopher D. <laughs> it was it was good though um and then there were some of the the judge wrote man she just like blasted all of these people and her like she was reading out their charges and stuff and what they would serve was, it was a girl judge yeah a yeah it was awesome love to see it it was awesome oh my god are you okay? You gonna make it? Let that no. wear you out. Oh, I'm mentally, I'm mentally exhausted from everything going on in the world, and that just. Oof. I know it has been. What a week! <laughs> yeah. Without, I don't want to. I don't like getting political ever, but you know it has been a crazy week. This is your weekly reminder to check in with your friends, make sure they're doing okay. Make sure they're sleeping because Connie hasn't been. <laughs> I haven't been. I I have not been sleeping with everything going on in the world. And no, it is, you know, like, I know, obviously, I'm not a dumbass. Like, I know it is way worse than me having trouble sleeping, like, thinking about this. But it is just, this is not the world that I want my kids to grow up in. And it's a very sobering thought to think about. And it is affecting me. And that's fair. That's okay. It's allowed to, I mean, you're allowed to be affected by things, even if they're not directly happening to you, you can see that thing and still go, that's awful. Yeah. And and want to do more or wish you could do more and, or feel helpless. Like, Oh, I can't do anything really other than, you know, and this is the first, um, this is the first, invasion conflict war that has literally we're getting live play-by-plays on tiktok on instagram like the media like 
it's I haven't seen anything like this. I saw one post. It was like uh, Google Maps, like spoiled a tank invasion because they were like traffic jam. There's a traffic jam ahead. And it's like, it's, it's insane. Everything is insane right now. And I feel like everything went from zero to a hundred and I'm having, if you see this video on our Patreon, you'll be like, damn, Connie, you <laughs> look like you haven't slept. It's just, <laughs> you look tired. No one wants to hear that. Yeah. It's, whew. but I don't know what else good to say. Tell me something. <laughs> tell me something funny. I need it honestly dude i don't really have anything funny my week was kind of like gnarly too. I, you know, I didn't realize february is so short and i think it's kind of messing me up it's like i feel this like there's gonna be more of it's this not month. even that short it's just like two days it just <laughs> like feels those, like an eternity to me those two days really um really throw you off when they're not mm-hmm. there like you're like oh 28 wait a minute what yeah and then i watch i watch uh i said at the beginning i've been watching euphoria just as like a hey i wasn't that bad as a kid it could have been way worse <laughs> it could have been even worse like, than this fabricated television show even like the ending of that had me like damn i just wanted something I watched so much Simpsons and King of the Hill, like in the middle of the night. I'm like, anything. I need to watch anything funny, lighthearted. Bob's Burgers, where yeah. I feel like-, like Euphoria is to like teens now, like as Gossip Girl was to us. Mm-hmm. That's Dude. the vibe. Like, why did like they didn't need to revamp Gossip Girl? They could have just done Euphoria. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I am a gossip girl die hard. It is my, like, I, it's my bread and butter. I love it. It's a show that I can rewatch that in One Tree Hill. One Tree Hill is a little cheesy for me sometimes, but gossip girl. I never mm. watched One Tree Hill, but I did love gossip girl. I love Blair. I love Blair. She's... I like to think of myself as a Blair, but I may be a Georgina. <laughs> I was like, we all want to be a Blair. But we're all... yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Georgina. <laughs> Although I have these like fleeting memories of high school, like where I think maybe I was a Serena, where I was very into my own self and everyone hated me. So <laughs> I could have also. I didn't even watch it in high school. I didn't watch oh, it I until did. I was 25 when I just had my first kid. I was on maternity leave and I was just laying in my bed with my laptop and my baby watching Gossip Girl every single hour of the day. And you wonder why she's dramatic. Yeah, I know. It's ingrained. It's because I subconsciously fed her Blair and Serena drama. I I remember when we went through our Laguna Beach phase. I did watch Laguna Beach. A lot of Laguna Beach. And I remember. I don't know why this is such a vivid memory for me. I was at a, we were at a ball state party and I was sitting on the stairs talking to this guy who I'm not even going to name drop him because it was extremely creepy that he was as old as he was speaking to me <laughs> as, for as long as it was like looking back now. I'm like, this was kind of predatory behavior because like 16 and 22. <laughs> I think he was older than that. I saw him. At, like, yeah, it was. Very, I don't remember. We'll talk about it afterwards. But I remember like, in my head, like, have you ever, uh, 
maybe this is going to make me sound like a psycho and I apologize, but have you ever been like having a scenario, like experiencing a scenario, but you're also simultaneously ex- like remembering a scene from a show and you're like, this could be something like this that. Is this is that moment for this me. This could be. I can see that. I don't know that I have had many of those, but I absolutely, it's like main character energy. Yeah. Like, exactly. I'm the main character of this yeah. moment. I'm like sitting yeah. on the stairs um, or like a stoop. Maybe it wasn't even a stairs now that I think about it. I can't stoop really remember. Kid. And I was just sitting there thinking about Kristen and Steven sitting on the, like sitting on the rocks and she's like talking about how she just can't do this anymore. And I'm talking to this way, this guy who's way too old for me to be talking to because we were the youngest kids hanging out in that group for the most part. And I was just thinking like, this is, you're right. Main character scene energy. But now I'm like, this was creepy and I was intoxicated and you were trying to take advantage of me. That was dangerous. That was a dangerous scenario. That was not Laguna Beach. It was not was Laguna Beach. Beach in the sense that you were about to like be murdered by murder. like. Yeah. It was like Chris Hansen energy, not like Stephen Kevin. <laughs> uh, and, and I should preface this for if any of our friends from that age, like that time, listen, it wasn't like any of our group of friends. It was some rando that was there that like had never been there before. And I was like, hey. You're new. <laughs> oh, you are so dangerous. I was. This is why, like, when we were growing up, Meg was Mama Meg because she had to be. I prevented Megan from having such a good time because I was a fucking train wreck. I prevented Megan from having <laughs> such a good time. Because she constantly, you know, and. You kept me safe in that regard. So really, who was taking care but of But you know what? Everyone needs a friend like you. Because I remember distinctly, like, being at another party, like, in, like, and one of our friends we had grown up with was, like, trying, like, I was in, I was a train wreck. So I was, like, hammered. <laughs> and this guy was, like, had, like, you know, like, ushered me into the room and was, like, trying to kiss, like, kiss me. And you knocked on the door and you went, Hey, uh uh-uh, and drug me out of there. So like, (laughs) look, I bet my kids can tell you times when I did that exact same thing. (laughs) And you weren't even saying uh it to me. You were like saying it to him. And it's like, everyone needs a friend like Meg. For every train wreck needs the train track. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I learned a lot of things at that point in my life. Whoops. Sorry. Hit a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you could even hear that, but I I did. Okay. Uh, you were great. You're so great. You, you were still, great too. You were I great too. I was a too. lot of fun. You were very. I'm fun. not. I'm not. Now it's like all of the anxiety of all the things that I've done as a kid is like manifesting in my 30s, and I'm like, I can't do anything. <laughs> it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to go alone. Here, take this. And it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> We, you know, and some things never change. When we reunited after our lost years back together, and the first night we went out, I was like, Meg, we're going hard in the paint. We were asking some cover band if they knew any Lizzo in the middle yeah, of a we did go. Society. We did go too little hard in the paint there. You were like, pu- you puked before we got in the Uber, and I was yelling at the guy, just like this. She's fine. Uh... 
And we wonder why I don't drink anymore. I'm just um, kidding. That wasn't it. But <laughs> sometimes I think about that. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that was a very, uh, you know, my favorite memory of that night is meeting your husband and him thinking that you and I were more than friends. <laughs> <laughs> what I had talked about Connie, but my husband had never met Connie. And then we met and we did, you know, girl stuff. We went to the bathroom together and he legitimately thought that we were lesbians together. And like, that's what that had happened at some point in yeah, our like lives. We were long and lost like, lovers and like reuniting the flame. He even asked my husband, he's like, should we be worried? Yeah. And I was like, no, no, we're just... But in all fairness, I don't think he had ever seen me hang out like yeah with a friend like outside of like playing board games at her house or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, and my husband was like, "Look, Connie's weird. So nothing that's going on in that bathroom right now that they're talking about is out of the ordinary. <laughs> Just let it happen." But he that's how deep now. our love is. My uh <laughs> My parents sat me down. I was like 17 to like try to encourage me, which great for them. Like shout out for them. Like not, you know, like having a welcoming home, but they thought Megan was my girlfriend. Yep. Um, My mom didn't necessarily think you were my girlfriend, but asked me on a regular basis (laughs) if I was a lesbian because I only ever hung out with like you and that was it. And I was like, no, mom, no. But we'd have great taste if we were, because we were (laughs) A-plus taste. (laughs) It was my most fulfilling relationship of high school, though, if I have to say. (laughs) It was my most fulfilling relationship. Yeah, I would agree with that. Same. Big same. On that note, we'll see you guys next week. Enjoy that romance. (laughs) As we continue our tour of Europe. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true kind... This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, 
And on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.